Well, hello and welcome to this week's episode of Politics in the Pulpit, a lectionary-based preaching resource designed to ask the provocative questions of how politics could appear in our preaching this week. My name is Annie McMillan and I am a Methodist deacon based at Methodist Central Hall Westminster currently. And being a Methodist deacon, I am, of course, a member of the Methodist Diaconal Order, a religious order that helps me to shape uh, my life. Uh, before I came into ministry, I was a teacher in secondary education, uh, teaching religious education and ethics at a secondary school in Oxfordshire. I'm really passionate about coming alongside people where they are and journeying with them as they discover God at work in their lives. Well, each week I'm joined by a guest from a different place on the uh, political and uh, uh, pulpit landscape. And I'm really delighted this week to be joined by the Reverend Neil Thorogood. Uh, Neil is currently a URC minister of two congregations in Southwestern Synod, uh, Trinity Hazelreen in Bristol and Thornbury URC. Uh, the first is a larger congregation in a city suburb and the second a smaller congregation in a market town about 10 miles away. He moved there in July 2020 amidst all the lockdowns, so I'm sure he's taken some time to get settled in. Before this, spent 15 years as a tutor and then principal of the URC's Westminster College in Cambridge. He also has had two ministries in Welling Garden City and Halifax since being ordained in 1992. He's an active artist in oils on canvas and charcoal on paper and makes much use of the visual in worship and mission. He's married to Jenny and they have two adult sons. Uh, well, Neil, we are delighted that you're able to be with us this morning. Uh, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Lovely to be with you. Well, we know that uh, politics in the pulpit can sometimes be a bit of a contentious topic, uh, but we at JPIT believe that it's essential that the world around us speaks into our churches. So when you hear arguments saying that politics should not form part of our preaching, how do you respond to that? I think I'm, I'm, I'm always struck that uh, that seems to be a denial of what the Bible actually is. Um, I mean, it seems to me that the Bible is, is full of politics in all sorts of ways, whether that's to do with um, uh, politics within the life of small scale communities or between nations or indeed globally. Um, it's to do with what does it mean for uh, creation to be fruitful and what are the things that allow that to happen and what are the things that stop that from happening. Um, I think the Bible is a tremendous resource when it comes to issues around justice and injustice and and God, the God we encounter, not least um, especially the God we encounter in Jesus Christ is, is a God who is passionate about um, human flourishing and about creation itself. Um, so so to, to sort of take all of that out of the equation of what is happening when we preach would seem to me very strange. I, I think my nervousness would be um, if we didn't have the humility in our preaching to say this doesn't necessarily mean that I can sign God up to whatever my personal political plan or party is I think that's where the territory becomes very dangerous because I, I, I think the other thing that the Bible and, and Christian tradition tries to help us understand is that God is not available to us to be signed up to our pet whatever, even, even if it is something that we are incredibly passionate about. Um, God is God and, and we are God's servants and, and we need to not get that equation wrong in the pulpit. 
Oh, that's wonderful. Uh, Rosanna, thank you so much. And that, um, yeah, that broadest sense of politics um, and what it means to live in the world, uh, being part of our preaching lab. Thank you so much. I think that's really helpful. Uh, so from your context, then, I wonder if there's any uh, particular key justice issues or political events that um, from your perspective and your context that you'd like to highlight for us. I guess a, f a few that are striking me. Um, Thornbury has become a really significant place for Ukrainian refugees. Um, so uh, as soon as it was possible for that to happen, um, the community in Thornbury, both within the church and in the wider community, just came together. It was the most phenomenal and glorious expression of community solidarity, welcoming folk in, and our building, uh, our URC building in Thornbury is a hub now for the Ukrainian refugees. And I mean, that is an agony that continues. And I mean, pretty much, well, I mean, just this morning, um, you know, news of, of more attacks in Kyiv and indeed um, attacks in Moscow. Uh, and that's an agony that we are very much part of. I, I, I think an, another dimension to that um, is that Bristol is a city of sanctuary, a city of welcome. And so refugees and how they are catered for and how we help them is a, is, is, is a significant part of our life. I think another dimension um, is, and this will be something that I guess we'll be touching on, is um, the whole sense of care for creation itself. Um, you know, here we are in the midst of um, a climate crisis, a climate emergency, um, there are some things that perhaps we'll find ourselves talking about in terms of um, uh, the significance of World Environment Day um, that comes up. Um, and there's some things there about, you know, both of, both of the, the churches and the communities that I'm part of, I think, want to play a good part in looking after creation. Um, sometimes can feel that what we contribute, what we can do is a small thing compared to the scale of the problem. Uh, but, but, but then needing to hold on to the fact that, you know, we, we need to do the bit that we can do and only we can do that bit. Oh, some, some really uh, wonderful and uh, deep questions there for us is what it means to be Christians living in the world in amongst um, all of those issues around refugees in Ukraine and the climate crisis. So, yeah, thank you for highlighting those things. As you say, I'm sure they'll they'll come up again as we work our way through the readings. Um, each week I ask uh, my JPIP colleagues for a roundup of their expertise and what they think we might want to be keeping on, an eye on in the world this week. And some of their suggestions are tie-in with what you've raised, attacks on Ukraine increasing again uh, with the drone strikes in Kiev. Um, so interesting that you've highlighted that obviously is something going on in the world to just be keeping our eye on as preachers. Uh, and, but then also about food inflation increasingly increasing and uh, that bringing uh, cost of living pressures for, for people um, or for many people and kind of wondering how they're going to make their ends meet and, uh, and kind of that cost of living crisis. Uh, so there's a couple of things in the news at the moment. Uh, just add, as you said, this Sunday is Trinity Sunday and Environment World Environment Day is on the 5th of June. So those are things that uh, when we're preaching, we might want to just be aware of. And the Bible readings for this Sunday, the 4th of June, are Psalm 8, Genesis 1, uh, 1 to 2, 4a. So that's Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to Genesis chapter 2, verse 4a. Just to be clear, it's not just the first few verses of Genesis. 
And then 2 Corinthians 13, 11 to 13, and Matthew 8, 16 to 20. So with our metaphorical newspapers open in one hand, let's turn to our Bibles. And I wonder, Neil, if there's a particular passage or theme or question that has jumped out for you this week that you'd like to start us with. I, I think um, this, is a, this is a Sunday when I think any, any of the four texts has more than enough material in it for a sermon. And then you add in it's Trinity Sunday, which is one of the most significant mysteries and bits of Christian doctrine. Um, and, and in some churches, people may want to sort of not spend a huge amount of time trying to unpack that. And in others, it will be very significant to unpack. And I, and I guess I was struck as I was reading through these four texts. Uh, it seems to me there is a thread that, that you could run a theme that you could run together. And I, and I think it's the theme for me of, um, these are passages that show something very intimate about the nature of God and God's relationship with creation and with humanity. And therefore, these are texts that also say some very powerful things about how we should be in God's creation and with one another. So there's that kind of double sense of we're getting some very powerful pictures of the nature of God. And because of that, as we're made in God's image and put in God's creation and put in community, we're, we're also being given some really powerful signs of what that should be. And I think, you know, the justice, peace, integrity of creation issues they are there circulating in all of that in these texts. Oh, some really uh, big meaty themes in <laughs> Trinity, uh, nature of our relationship with creation, just some some little things to get out of each other. No, I, I agree. I think you can see those things running through all, all of the readings, actually. Um, so did you want to start with a particular reading as a way? Yeah, I, I, I think I'd want to, um, I'd want to, Notice the way in which the Genesis text and Psalm 8 paint a really powerful picture. Um, and I think it's, I mean, it's a very familiar picture. I suspect these are, these are passages of scripture, especially the Genesis one, that almost as soon as someone stands up in church and begins to read it, most of us who are listening will be, oh, okay, that's where we are. That feels familiar. Um, and, and I think it's always worth when, when you have a familiar passage of scripture, it, it, it invites you to dig a little deeper into it because maybe it's not that familiarity breeds contempt, but it, it's maybe that familiarity just makes us sort of go, oh yeah, I know that. I, I know what that means. So, so I think I'd be, I'd be wanting to open up a sermon um, by looking at the way in which, uh, for example, uh, either the Genesis or the Psalm, whichever one you wanted to go with, um, what they do is they they very powerfully tell us why things are the way they are. And, and what they want to say is things are the way they are in creation because this is what God has set up. This is, this is the way things are designed to be. And there is within that a tremendous sense of wonder. Um, you know, I, I, I think the psalm, you know, the psalm captures that sense of the awe-inspiring nature of what God has created. 
the Genesis, the poetry of Genesis and the seven days of creation gives us this just this amazing sense of everything unfolding. And I think what it what it is saying to us is that the way God what what God is passionate about and what God sees is good is a creation in which everything has its own part to play and you need a home and then you need things that live in that home and they're designed to be compatible they're designed to look after so so the home you know the mountains the oceans and so on they provide a safe environment for the creatures that then live in that home but the creatures in that home have to look after it um and you know we think of world environment day um mm -hmm. i i i am very struck that what what these passages are saying to us is that things are designed to to work together in this wonderful sense of collaboration and what humanity has done is for all sorts of reasons over all sorts of generations we have we have lost touch i think with a lot of that um I was very moved recently reading um, the, the book that David Attenborough has published, which is his kind of mission statement, his, his witness statement, as he gets towards the end of this incredible life of, you know, all of the stuff he has shown us. Um, and it's incredibly powerful because he writes about the fact that human beings on the whole no longer have, a, have, have lost touch with how intimate our relationship is with the natural world. We've just seen it as a bank, a bank of resources that we can grab and take and use and trade. And it isn't that. So I think, I think that's where the Genesis and the Psalm would, would be setting a theme. And, and it's a, a theme of we're, we're here to collaborate with God in looking after this gift of a creation. Um, and we know, we know to our cost that we haven't done that. And the world is now scrabbling. Um, I mean, I, I'm struck at the, the, this very week in Paris. Um, the nations of the world under the United Nations are, are meeting together to try and work out how to handle um, plastic pollution in the oceans. You know, and um, I mean, I was just staggered. I was, I was reading some of the reports for that. 400 million tons of plastic a year are being produced and half of that is single-use plastic and and only 10 percent of the other is being recycled and i had the great blessing and privilege of growing up in the cook islands in the south pacific because my parents were missionaries and the cook islanders are in paris this week and they're saying to nations like ours we don't produce all of this plastic, but it washes up in our ocean, in the Pacific, and we need it to stop because we're killing the planet. So I think that would be a way in um, that I'd want to pursue. I, I think that's incredibly helpful. I, I particularly love the idea of being in collaboration with God and looking after creation and, and perhaps an element of collaboration with uh, creation in terms of looking after looking after I, I think that's yeah I, I found that very um, helpful thinking about how I might want to <laughs> want to uh, preach and I would think on this particularly thinking about the trinitarian element of yeah. some exactly uh,
Yes, because I think what the Trinitarian element is also then going to give us, and, and I mean, we get that in the two Corinthians and the Matthew, because we, I mean, we, one of the exciting things about the Trinity, of course, is that the Bible doesn't have a nice, neat, you know, there isn't a nice, there isn't a nice book of the Bible called Explaining the Trinity. Um, and, yeah. and so it's tidbits and it's hints and it's, and it's glimpses of the nature and being of God. But what we get in the Corinthians and the Matthew, I think, builds on the Genesis, for example. You know, the spirit of God hovering over the chaos and then creation. And I think what we're, what we're seeing when we think about the Trinity is that God, the, the very nature of God is community. Father, Son and Spirit, creator, redeemer, sustainer. And they they are held together in this wonderful collaboration, this this mutuality. Um, some of our Christian traditions talk about it as a dance, you know, this wonderful the, the movement of the Trinity as being like this dance with three partners who make space for each other. And I think what God has given us in creation is is space and, and has said to humanity, join me in looking after this and letting it flourish, because if you let it flourish, you will flourish. And the justice issues are enormous for us because, I mean, how much of humanity has to live in situations where flourishing is not possible because of the ways in which the world works? You know, how trade works, how violence works, how war works, how 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 the most destabilizing elements of nationalism work and so on. Um, and then God says to us, and guess what? You've actually managed to screw up the climate. You know, you, the things you are doing in, 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 in the way you are creating your wealth are actually, in the end, coming back to bite you because the climate itself, creation itself, cannot cope with what you are doing. And I guess in preaching all of that, I'd want to avoid just guilt tripping everybody because I think that's awfully easy. And that's the danger, isn't it? That that's where you end up. Um, yeah. And that I always remember um, when I was training for ministry, I read a really helpful thing, um, which I, I remember I wrote it out and I stuck it above my computer screen. Um, your average congregation does not need a sermon full of guilt, complaints and despair. A congregation needs to hear good news. That's not to say that we don't judge and and we don't bring God's voice of judgment. And you know, I'm conscious that here am I. Um, I'm a I'm a middle class white male, educated at universities, living in an affluent part of the world, living in an affluent part of the United Kingdom. Um, there are all sorts of things about who I am as a person that give me advantages over all sorts of other people. So I need to recognize that. But I think, especially when some of the issues that the world faces, when they are so enormous, I think, I think in our preaching, the danger is if all we do is say, here's all the bad stuff, yeah. we leave a congregation thinking, well, so there isn't any hope. <laughs> Yeah, and they're, they're big things that can feel very overwhelming. Absolutely. So left feeling, well, it's it's just too much, isn't it, to deal with? It is, it is. And, and 
And, and, and I think often people have come to church already burdened with their own um, sense of guilt and uncertainties and worries and concerns. I mean, you know, most of the people that I'm preaching to would be folk who would be absolutely there with David Attenborough. You know, they'd be they'd be people who want to limit their use of, of, of single-use plastics. They'd be people who want to try and move over to electrification and so on. Um, they, they, so the last thing they need is to, you know, come to church and be told, actually, it's not enough, not enough. You're not doing enough. So it's about how do you then, how do you then find the potential mm. to, to, to say, let us celebrate how how we are being faithful and let's see where there is more that we can do so for example in our churches um eco congregation is a significant way of doing that um but i'm also struck that i think i think we are at a tipping point i mean you know i think there was i'm old enough (laughs) to remember when the World Council of Churches launched Justice, Peace and Integrity of Creation. And that was a long time ago. And, you know, people would make all sorts of comments about, you know, tree hugging and sandal wearing and so on. Nowadays, I think it's unimaginable to say there isn't something wrong with how we look after creation. Yeah, and even for no other reason than the selfish reasons of wanting creation to go on to continue to serve future generations, exactly. even if that's that's the only reason. I mean, I, I would want to know bigger reasons than that around honouring what God has created and uh, and all of that creation being good in and of itself. Yes. Um, but even even for just the very human selfish things of our future generations, yeah. creation will not continue if we continue to treat it as we are. And I think the wonderful thing that we get in all of these passages, you know, in, I mean, like in the Matthew one, the Great Commission, yes. you know, go into all the world and teach and share. So there is a sense of from generation to generation to generation, the story of Genesis, the psalm has itself been handed on within um, Judaism from generation to generation to generation. And, you know, in most of our churches, there will be different generations. And even if, even if, even if there are, you know, I mean, some of the churches that I'm involved in, most people would be retired, mm-hmm. um, but they have grandchildren, yeah. you know, and, and a few of them have now got great grandchildren <laughs> and, and, and they are incredibly focused on what sort of a world will my grandchildren inherit? And, and I think to be able to celebrate what does it mean to hand something on, whether that is, you know, the handing on of the Christian faith, but equally, whether it is the handing on of our passionate commitment to God's good creation and to all of the people in it. To, so that every, you know, what God is interested in and, and what I get out of these passages is God loves human dignity. God, God loves everyone made in God's image to be treated with dignity and honoured. And God wants that to be true of every tree and mountain and ocean and cat and dog. And, you know, I'm not big on spiders personally, but even tarantulas and you name it. Um, 
because they're there for a reason. You know, God, God sees that they are good. Yeah, and if we believe that God creates with a purpose, then those things, you know, as you say, they have a reason for being. They're part of God's God's creation. They're God part of God's plan. Um, and so honouring, I use that word honouring, I love that, honouring all of creation. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think there's a, I think one of the interesting questions is, you know, where is there trouble in the text? And and there is a bit of trouble. And and not least in the Genesis and the Psalm, they both use the language of dominion. Yes. You know, that human beings are to have dominion. And um, I think an interesting thing for a preacher to do is just look up all the way, all the meanings of the word dominion and how we are translating that bit of Hebrew. Um, because it is possible for dominion to become all about, well, if I've got dominion, I can do what I, I'm in charge, you know, and I can do what I like. And, and in a sense, that's exactly what we've done. And, and theologically, I think if we look back over the history of Christianity, it, it is possible to see ways in which the church has been um, at times, um, has, has, it, has, has certainly not countered an mm. interpretation that says, well, the great thing about creation is God has given it to us. And therefore, we, we have control, we have power, we have authority, we have jurisdiction. These are all dominion kind of words, which means I can do what I like. And, and, I can, and, and if I choose to um, make use of it for my personal profit, well, I've got dominion. And I think maybe an interesting thing to reflect on is, does dominion automatically mean domination? Yes. Yeah. And I think the whole justice issue when it comes to creation, but also the relationships between human beings and between nations, does is there not a way for us to understand having dominion as being about mutuality and about collaboration and sharing? And I think we're living in a period when some of the things that we have some of the hard-won things, I, I think, for example, of how there are elements in some of our more nationalistic um, politics at the moment that are pushing back against international agreements, pushing back against the United Nations, um, pushing back against refugees, pushing back against asylum seekers, wanting to say... Um, uh, well, wanting to question how collaborative should the world be, you know, we need to look after ourselves. I mean, it seems to me an echo of the, you know, charity begins at home kind of stuff. Um, wh why should I bot? Why should I bot? Who cares what's happening in a Pacific island uh, if yeah. they're dealing with our plastic? You know, who cares? Um, okay. You know, I want to be able to live my life. Uh, yeah. And there, so I think somewhere in, in my preaching, I'd be wanting to, because when we hear either the psalm or the Genesis, we will hear probably language of dominion. And, and, and I think even if you think of the Great Commission in Matthew, yes. again, yeah. mission, you know, uh, uh, my background is I grew up the son of, of missionaries in the South Pacific. So I'm very, 
I'm very engaged with the whole question of the, the global international missionary enterprise and colonialism and empire and um, racism and slavery and, you know, all of that. Um, and there is a danger that, that domination creeps in. So how do we counter that? And, and, and how do we, and the, that's where the Trinity helps us, I think, because the God we believe in, is not a god of domination, even within God's being. You know, there is the mutuality. So, so how do we honor and celebrate that kind of interdependence? Mm. Oh, I, I, I think that's so helpful that opening up those questions because, you know, if I have uh, d dominion, and you also have dominion, <laughs> as as somebody created in God's image, how. Yeah. And our, our wants and needs are working against each other for what we want to do with creation. Yeah. As you, coming back to that question about modelling who God is, that that mutuality working for and with one another, hopefully, is a corrective to that. My needs come first, yeah. um, But um, yeah, you can see how um, how those those questions come out of some of these texts and the yeah. language. So. Yeah, yeah, and, and and I think it's a we're living in an era when 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 we need to hear that language loud and clear, you know, because we're we're living in an era of human history, certainly in the West, when um, we're being bombarded with all sorts of things, and 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 I, I mean, I think it is interesting that um, the the church. The, the, the church has not always found itself on the right side of history on some of these issues. And um, I think it's interesting, isn't it, that, that it's been younger generations, perhaps, who have been the ones, you know, thinking of, of Greta Thornburg and others, um, who have been the ones who have said, actually, this, this, is not, this is not just a vague problem that we have to sort out one day. How we look after the planet is an emergency now. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, I, th I, I, I think there is, there's a lot, there's a lot here, and and that's why I'd also be, you know, humble enough, I hope, to recognise that one sermon is going to have to pick and choose what bits of this I'm going to home in on. Yes, yes. I mean, that's often often the question of bridging <laughs> what not to what not to include. Um, so just before we wrap up, is there any kind of last points, any last things that you wanted to make sure that you'd got a chance to talk about um, today? Uh, I mean, one one thing that's often interesting um, to do as a preacher is to find other ways in. E I mean, even even if um, you can't use them on the Sunday, maybe they help you in your thinking. As you mentioned, I'm 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 kind of a bit of a, a an art nut and um, play around with the arts a lot. And uh, I just wanted to mention there's a wonderful photographer called Mandy Barker. And Mandy Barker, I mean, she's pretty easy to find if you if you um, use certain search engines to look for her. Um, and she's had done an exhibition that I saw called Call to Action. And what she did, she's she's very passionate, hugely passionate about um, plastic waste. And what she has done is she has traveled the world and she has gone to B 
beach after beach after beach. And she has worked with local communities and they gather all the plastic off the beach. And then what she does is she creates the most incredible works of art. When you see them hanging on the wall, they're all photographs. What you think initially you're looking at is like a rose window in a cathedral. So it's, it's a big, big yeah. circle of color and so on. And then you walk up to it and you have a look and you realize that what you're looking at is all the little bits of plastic that were picked up from a particular beach on just one day. And, and if you wanted a way into thinking about some of this, and, and, and her passion is, you know, what can I do? Well, I'm a photographer. Okay, I'll take photographs. I'll make beautiful things which contain something awful and sad and broken. And I'm going to put them in art galleries and invite people to put them on their wall to make you think. And I, I guess I hope that's what our preaching might do. Yeah. Uh, again, I think that's um, that way in, as you say, that what can I do question of, you know, we're not all environmental scientists. or Exactly. But we all can do something. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. Well, the Reverend Neil Thorogood, thank you so much for coming and sharing your wisdom and your reflections with us today. Um, and we really have appreciated all that you've brought to us. And I'm sure we'll continue to reflect on them. And uh, thank you to everyone else who's been with us and joined us uh, wherever they are to ask the questions of how and whether uh, we should preach politics in the pulpit this week. If you've enjoyed this episode of Politics in the Pulpit, please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and share this episode with your friends. Uh, we have some online spaces for further engagement and discussion about politics and faith. You can find us on Twitter at pulpit underscore politics or using the hashtag politics in the pulpit. Uh, there's a Facebook group which you can access through the Facebook page of the Joint Public Issues team. And of course, there's the website, which is jpit.uk. That's J-P-I-T dot U-K. And a question uh, that we're leaving you with from this week's readings are uh, how can we work in collaboration with God who is one in three uh, uh, that community uh, to care for creation and so let's go into our politics and our pulpits with a blessing this week may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with each one of us amen amen well, thank you again so much